and welcome to Minnesota Swine and You podcast series. Today's podcast is a discussion regarding USDA's 2021 swine study. My name is Sarah Sheik Belke, and I'm a swine extension educator with the University of Minnesota. With me today is Diane DeWitt, who's also a swine extension educator and becoming a regular on the podcast. Hey, Sarah. Good to have you with me again today, Diane. Glad to be here. Today, our guest is Charles Haley, who is a veterinary epidemiologist with USDA APHIS, Veterinary Services Center for Epidemiology and Animal Health. To get us started today, Charles, will you tell us about what are you going to be talking about during this podcast? Certainly, Sarah. And it's uh, good to hear from you and Diane. I don't get yeah. to see enough of you. No, good. Glad you're here. So this is the Swine 21, uh, 2021 study, and it's part of a series of them that go back about 30 years. And in this case, I'll describe there's two components, and they're based on inventory size. One's a large component for producers that have a thousand or more on uh, in their operation, and one's a small which, for operations that have less than a thousand. For the large, the uh, NAS will select from their list frame, which is regularly updated and was in the census, approximately 2,500 operations. Of course, a lot of them will probably be in Minnesota being a major swine producing state. They will, they will contact them and ask if they can get, uh, if they can come out, the NAS people will go out first. They're called enumerators. These will be your friends and family probably in most cases. And they'll ask permission if they can get certain information about say how you house your pigs, how you use any vaccines, real general stuff. Some of your farrowing rates up. This is the sort of thing that we've been tracking for about 30 years now. And then after that, they will ask the operation, is it okay if the federal VMOs or animal health techs or state people come out and do a second data collection and possibly collect biologic samples. The second data collection being that these are more vetty type people, I call them. We ask about specific diseases. Like for example, did you have any PERS problems in your sows this year? Did you have any PED outside of feedback incidents that uh, happened in your growing pigs? And what kind of medications do you use? And I should mention, when we collect this kind of information, this produces national estimates. So when we collect medication information, this will help combat misinformation that most of you know is probably out there about just how uh, swine producers raise their pigs. So in that second visit, we would also offer some biologic collections. One's feces, that's be on uh, grower, growing finishing pigs, probably the later the better, 20 plus weeks, and would be tested for pathogens like Salmonella, Enterococcus, Campylobacter, and E. coli. And for that, the producer will get, for the first time, I'd say the antimicrobial susceptibility profile of those things that you can share with your veterinarians. The second is the oral fluids. We're, we're going to test with Iowa State University for <clears throat> Seneca Valley. And 
That would be during a second visit conducted by veterinary services representatives. That's the large story. And these are national estimates. So in addition to combating misinformation, they're also useful in resource planning should the worst happen and we get some sort of African swine fever outbreak or something else. And so we have an idea of what's out there and how to allocate resources to help with that. That's the large study. The, sec uh, the second one is the smaller study. It's a totally different thing. It used to be we selected, we called swine producers small when they were less than a hundred, but it was suggested to us that a better representative inventory would be less than a thousand, but we'll still be hitting some of those mom and pops like you remember growing yeah. up. Yes. Uh, it, in fact, NASA will be selecting from their list frame with, uh, if I may wax statistical for one second, <laughs> a higher probability for a smaller. And what we're trying to get at, at this is to see how some of these people are managing swine these days. And that includes whether they're niche markers or, or not. Like we know in what we think in some areas like North Carolina, niche marketing's booming, but has it gone so elsewhere? Did some of the smaller producers say, no, I'd like a premium. I, I don't, I don't want to put up with commercial price fluctuations so much anymore. And so we're going to ask how they're doing it. For example, do they, uh, now that they're starting to raise pigs outdoors again, or maybe they never stop, are they starting to run into some of the old things we used to, you and Sarah and Diane uh, might remember like lungworm and that sort yeah. of thing. And we're interested in just, niche marketing is such a broad term. Uh, it could be pasture raise, it could be antimicrobial freeze. I don't even know all the different marketing streams that are out there, but we're hoping to get some sort of an idea. And for that, uh, for both of them, it's all going to start around June, at the end of June. And in the first one, the large one, operationals get a visit. For the second one, NASA is going to handle everything by a mail out with instructions to the questionnaire and producers can fill it out either online or uh, mail it back to NASA and they'll get a telephone call probably somewhere in July if they haven't been able to do either and they'll try to schedule an interview, NASA will try to schedule an interview with them. And that's the swine study 2021 in a nutshell as far as I can tell. You guys got any questions about it? Yeah, actually, I have, well, a couple of questions, but um, first, just to clarify, when you say, you know, the two components, there's the 1,000 head and over, and then there's the smaller, so 1,000 and under, are you talking about, like, how many might be on that particular site or under that producer's oversight at one time? Or is that looking at approximately how many they market during the year? That is, Sarah, a static inventory on the operation. When NAS goes out for hogs and pigs, they get an idea of how many pigs the operation oversees. And they've got that as kind of a population estimate. So they're going to use that to break it out into those two categories. All right. Thanks. So I know you touched upon this a little bit, but can you go a little bit more in detail as to what's the purpose of the USDA swine study? We'd have to go back 
to 30 years ago to get the kind of founding ideas to it. But to me, it's to continually update those national estimates that we've been getting for 30 years, which no other country in the world that I know of voluntarily does, which has a bunch of uses. And when you have population estimates, I, again, I have to wax statistical for a second. When you, when you had took your stats class and you wanted to draw a sample size, you, they said you needed something called a population estimate. Either that or you have to convene a cabal of expert opinion or something like that. Well, who has population estimates? We do. Well, that's, that's excellent. And, you know, I've, a couple of different times when I've given presentations in the past, you know, I accessed previous uh, swine health studies, you know, to get some data. So it's, it's useful in research. It's useful in making presentations. It's useful in um, creating some talking points with the general public, especially when you're talking about um, use of medications like that. And you mentioned that earlier, Charles. Mm-hmm. But so, you know, we're working with producers here. And if they're anything like the producer I grew up with, they're not necessarily all that warm about strangers coming on and asking a lot of personal questions. Uh, so what kind of um, measures are taken to make sure that the information is not tied directly to each individual producer? Is there some anonymity that's allowed in this? Diane, there's a lot of anonymity involved. First, since 30 years ago, we became what's called the SIPSI agency, which is, uh, it's a it's one of the many acronyms that the federal government uses, but it stands for roughly something called Confidential Information Protection and something else. But anyway, it's the same type of protection that NAS uses. That means that this is good for the, uh, the interviews, for the survey type information we collect. Once we have that, first of all, a producer is never identified by anything that I ever see other than a number, like a six to eight digit number. That's what delineates rows of uh-huh. data. Yeah. It's protected by SIPSI, which makes it extremely hard from what I understand to FOIA. And the only thing that's not protected by SIPSI is the biologic information. And that's covered by something called confidential business information, which is mm-hmm. also a, a big barrier to FOIAs and other inquiries. And it, and in proof of all, and we've had confidential business information for the past 30 years, and not once has any name or address or phone number or email, if they had them back 30 years ago, <laughs> uh, has, has gotten out to anybody. So yeah. It seems to be working. Yeah, it's really good to know that, that there are, you know, multiple uh, layers of confidentiality, too, because I think that's something that uh, the producers are concerned about and especially when they're turning over you know data but all I also know that it's something that uh, nearly everyone in the industry could agree that it's important to have and to have a database like this and have it be something that is recent and and up to date and you know in some of the work that I do with niche 
hog producers and organics. And, you know, you, you mentioned that there are just, you know, you can go everywhere from hobby farming to certified organic and everything in between. And uh, there aren't any real good ways to identify how many there are. And so I'm glad you guys are, are working with those folks too, because they, you know, they aren't comparable to a large commercial hog farm, but they are doing business across the country and they have customers. Right. And the, uh, we, we know very little about them or their needs. I mean, you know, what's going on in Minnesota. I don't know what's going on in Minnesota. North Carolina has their own set of producers with their own unique. We don't know any of their education needs. Um, we don't know how, uh, how they get pigs to market. We don't know what kind of setup they've got. Uh, and it's, it's not so important that I personally know, but just uh, for overall industry benefit, I, I would probably have to agree. We need to know something about it just to spread the word around, hey, this is happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I forgot to mention that you, traditionally uh, producers have said your questionnaires are just too long. And so what, what, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do with that is uh, there's a lot of skip outs. Like you might, you might see a 14-page questionnaire, but thanks to site segregation, which we do for biosecurity nowadays, if you only got sows, if, uh, if you have a farm and you're a larger producer, or even some of the smaller ones, because less than 1,000 isn't necessarily small, you're just going to have right. sows on one site and growers at another site. So when we sub-select within the operation, because that's all Mass has, uh, is operation information. We then sub-select within that to, to ask permission to go to sites. And once we go to the sites, you usually either got sows or you got growing pigs. So in other words, you skip out a half of that 14-page questionnaire. Well, that's good news for somebody that, that sits, is sitting down to fill it out. Right. Yeah, exactly. Give them a little bit of a of a heads up that not all questions may apply to them. So Charles, you mentioned that about a questionnaire, you also mentioned about going on site. How should farmers expect to get contacted? Like, will someone all of a sudden show up at their farm or will they be contacted by phone, email, um, or regular mail first? How will they initially be reached out to? For the large component and the uh, smaller one, NASA is going to do the first reach out and that's going to be a mail. It's going to be a you've been selected type letter along with information about the study. And then at that point, they will probably try to make contact with them on the phone in the case of the larger component. And we sure don't need to the NASA, neither the NASA numerators nor the BMOs in the second phase need to come to the site to do it. We can do this at a coffee shop. Uh, the, the things that we ask is probably right at the top of a producer's head, like a herd manager's head. So we can go there. We don't have to be at the site. And when it comes to the biologics, we're just, we're collecting oral fluids and we're collecting poop. So those aren't hard to train somebody, the, a site representative who doesn't want a stranger on the farm to uh, do, and then we just meet them down the street and pick it up and ship it. Oh, that's really good. Just to know that it doesn't have to be pe 
you know, people coming onto the site because that is certainly a, a critical, critical concern of producers of any size. Right. So Charles, you alluded to it a little bit at the beginning when you kind of gave us an overview of the swine study, but of all this information that you're collecting, whether it's from the survey or if it's actually the biologics that are being collected, how is all that information going to be used or what, how does the USDA plan to use that information? That is, uh, you'll probably be sorry you asked that because <laughs> I have just such a diatribe that I can give you right now. What USDA does with it, uh, I think because we're, we're, we're assisting the industry mainly, this is an industry driven sort of thing. We didn't come up mm-hmm. with this on our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're transferring the information. What, what I do, what we do is we, I create those population estimates. And that means taking the survey information, validating it, editing it. Uh, that means taking the biologic information, the oral fluids and the, uh, the fecal results, validating, ed- editing that and creating summary estimates, which is another component of pr- producer confidentiality. We never do row data. We only present summary estimates. I think what the USDA is going to get out of it is at the last part of the phase two questionnaire, there's a little bit about psych demographics. In other words, how many uh, houses do you have on, on site? What they can use that for is the if the unthinkable happens and we need to start sending people like me out to farms to help with a disease incident, we'll have some idea of the resources necessary to do it. How many people do you need to send out, for example? How much, uh, how much cleaning solution do you do? How many boots do you need? So they'll get something directly out of that. Uh, but I believe the industry will reap the benefit of the most of it because they'll once again have summary estimates that are national level population estimates that they can use in any situation, including a trade negotiation, and with the biologics, we're getting at some of the prevalence of what may be Seneca out there. And that goes part and parcel with some of the work that uh, I think Cesar Corzo has been doing with the University of Minnesota. So between the yes. two of us, or the three of us, because there's probably more of them, we're going to have some idea just how much Seneca is out there. And hopefully someday... Uh, get to the point where we can do a snap test at, or some sort pen side so we don't have to drag the state vet into it every time we see a blister. Did I answer your question correctly, Sarah? Yeah, I think you did. You just expanded on all the different ways that not only USDA, but also the industry will be able to use this information. Basically, just kind of in my mind, I'm thinking it's almost like how for people we take, you know, that a census every so many years, um, or agriculture every so many years, there's the ag census. It's just similar to that, except it's focusing solely on the swine industry. Yeah, it comes from census data. If it wasn't for NAS and those ag census they do and the hogs and pigs they do, they're the professional keepers of the list frame. So without them and with their random selections, I had 2,500 ops in large, maybe up to 5,000 ops in small. Uh, we wouldn't have something to pull off of. 
thanks to it is census data, we can what we call weight it each observation, each farm, each site we visit, and then use that to extrapolate back to the populations, which in the case of the large is every every operation with a thousand or more, or in the small, less than a thousand. Those are the population estimates for those two target populations. So Charles, before we uh, wrap up here, so those farmers that get chosen to participate, do you have any estimate for the amount of time that it might take them, whether it's filling out the survey or also having somebody come to their farm to collect biologics? Like how much time may a producer be putting into this or should they expect? When we first contact, when NAS first contacts the operations and asks permission, I'm guessing that'll take about 30 minutes because they'll have to subselect with the operation head or representative just how many sites they're going to visit. And it depends on how big they are. And I would say that in signing associated paperwork, having to do with Sipsy and that sort of thing, I'd say that'd take about a half hour if all went well. When we actually get to those sites and do the first questionnaire, that'll be about an hour. Well, actually, NASA numerators go, that'll be about an hour. If we're allowed to come back with VMOs, AHTs, or possibly state personnel, that'll take about an hour too. It depends with the that second questionnaire. It, it depends who does the biologics collections after that. If it's one of us, it's, it'll take a little finagling just to squeeze it into the producer's days when we can actually come to do it. But as you know, with oral fluids, it's, uh, it's hang some ropes and go have some coffee for about 45 minutes. And fecal doesn't pick up that. Uh, picking up fecals doesn't really take that long. So I guess that part wouldn't involve the producer's time so much, but it'll take us about an hour or the representative of the site about an hour. For the small component, I'd say it's going to take about 45 minutes to complete that questionnaire. The, the way we do it, uh, we subselect within large uh, with the operation person, but we won't be talking to anybody personally for the small part. So they select uh, which operation if they got more than one, I mean, which site, if they've got more than one site, they pick and it's just one and it's based on geographic closeness. And once they get to that point, we're probably dealing with the same old situation where there's site segregation. So they're gonna fill out the sow or the growing part and some of the other parts, and that'll take them about an hour, hopefully less, because I've put in as much instruction as I can. Of course, NASA or anybody's free to contact me as it says on the the, uh, launch sheets too. Thank you. If I'm going to be doing something, I always like the heads up to know approximately how much time this might take. So that was a good estimation of that. Yeah. For the large, it might, uh, it helps if some records are available. I know I've run into producers who can tell you just how many pigs farrowed in the last six months off the top of their head. Uh, or that, But some people need to go to some, one of the softwares like PigChamp or something and, and have the stuff ready ahead of time. So they'll be given a heads up about that. And if they need to, they'll have the time to do so. So as we near the end here of our podcast, 
Diane, any other questions you have for Charles or Charles, any other points that you would like to make that you haven't had the opportunity to do so yet? Well, I haven't got any uh, other questions. I, I'm glad that it's going to happen and I'm looking forward to seeing what we can get out of it. And I know it'll be good, valuable information. There's one thing I forgot to mention, that's how long it is until a producer actually sees the summary estimates of the study or the industry does, or you do, or Sarah does. And I'm guessing that for the phase one and the large and for the small, it's going to take till about uh, March 2022. And we used to release all these big honking PDFs that... Uh, you had to scroll through or search through. We're trying to go and uh, gradually get into the 21st century and use something called Tableau, which is a little bit more interactive, but I'm bound and determined that we're gonna get our numbers out faster. And uh, the second part, phase two for large, that would probably be more towards next, about next summer, maybe June, 2022, because of all the validation editing let industry take a look at things, let NAS take a look at things. And, but as soon as I can get them out, I will. And they won't be a PDF anymore, I hope. <laughs> well, that'll be great. And, you know, that's kind of similar to what we see when uh, we participate in the ag census too. You know, it takes some time to get the numbers crunched before they can actually be released. Yeah, and to look for mistakes. Uh, did, they said they had sows on this on phase one, but all of a sudden they disappeared on uh, phase two. What happened? Well, it's good that you take the time to look over that so that you're confident in how accurate that information is once it's released. Well, thanks Charles for your willingness to be on this podcast with us today and share with us USDA's 2021 swine study. So now hopefully producers, at least in Minnesota, are prepared if they get that letter in the mail from NAS um, asking them to participate. Pleasure. Well, this wraps up our podcast for today. Thank you to those listening to Minnesota Swine and You podcast. Once again, this has been Sarah Sheik Belke and Diane DeWitt, both swine extension educators, along with Charles Haley. To further connect with University of Minnesota Swine Extension, please visit our swine-specific webpages on the University of Minnesota Extension's website at www.extension.umn.edu backslash swine. And on those swine pages, you will find connections to both our blog as well as our Facebook page. To learn about research being done by our swine faculty in veterinary medicine, please visit their Swine in Minnesota blog at www.umnswinenews.com.